Welcome back to Time Travel Rock here on 90.3 KRNU. I am your host, Jackson Reddick, where today we'll be talking about ACDC. One thing I never even knew about them is that they're an Australian band that they you know originated in Australia. I never even knew that. But I chose ACDC for the episode today, even though they're such a popular, well-known band, you know, probably one of the t-shirts you see the most out of anything is the AC with the DC with the lightning bolt through the middle of it. I've just never really listened to their music, so that's why I kind of wanted to take a deep dive into them today, more for myself, more than anything, but of course for the listener as well. You can listen along with the music and everything that's going on, but I'm going to dive into the beginnings of their band really quick. Uh, November 1973, the band was created by Malcolm and Angus Young, the two brothers paired alongside bassist Larry Van Crite, vocalist Dave Evans, and drummer Colin Burgess. The band name actually came from the brother's sister, Margaret, after she noticed uh, the initials ACDC on the AC adapter of a sewing machine, in which the true meaning of ACDC is alternating current slash direct current and electricity. The brothers agreed that the, they agreed the sentiment made sense because of the band's raw energy and their thunderous performances. The band found themselves constantly performing in Australia, as Bon Scott actually took over on vocals for Dave Evans. The, the beginnings with Dave Evans, it didn't really work out. Uh, they needed to make a change of scenery, and they did. They recorded their first studio album, High Voltage. And I'm going to play a couple of songs from this, or I'm going to play one song from this album. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. Such a great song, you know, that even though it's their oldest, you know, it's their oldest music as it was released in 1975 on February 17th, released exclusively in Australia. And then they quickly released their second studio album, TNT, on December 1st of 1975, which was only released in New Zealand and Australia. The band really had a quick start, but I'm only going to play one song from that first album. Uh, the song TNT was also on that first album, but I'm sure everyone has heard that song. It's a really good song. It's just not one of my favorites, I guess, per se, of theirs. I really like It's a Long Way to the Top if you want to rock and roll. It's just got a steady guitar throughout the whole thing. I just really, really like it. But... Uh, between 1974 and 1977, the band regularly played on Molly Meldrum's Countdown show, which was on ABC, becoming one of the most popular groups in Australia. It's really where they got their kickstart before they tour, before they got to London, before they got to the United States. But I'm going to play from their first album, It's a Long Way to the Top, if you want to rock and roll by ACDC. <laughs>
it took the band just a tiny bit of time to scratch their way into the London scene as in 1976 they got the attention of Phil Carson of Atlantic Records the band then signed an international deal with Atlantic Records they just had a, a slow movement in London they weren't really prominent at the time because punk rock was a really big movement in London at the time and ACDC absolutely hated punk rock they didn't want to be associated with it whatsoever you know, if you even spoke to them about it, they would get you know they'd get really mad. I mean, they didn't they didn't want to associate themselves with that. They liked more the traditional rock and roll style that they were, and they wanted to be known for that. Angus Gun, Angus Young, excuse me, uh, he got really he was gained notoriety for actually mooning the public during their performances. That's definitely one way to stick out, and a band has to find a way, and that certainly is a a way to stick out. Their first album to gain worldwide distribution was in 1976 when they compiled tracks from High Voltage and TNT, uh, their LPs that they released. And that one was all this this album where they kind of mushed everything together was also called also titled High Voltage. Uh, they kind of did a re-release of TNT. They they made a a newer version of it, more updated. And it only had two songs from their original LPs, and that was a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll, and TNT. And, and the band, it was well recepted at first. And then the third studio album, Dirty Deeds Done Dirt Cheap, was released in the same year in Australia and other international versions. Uh, but uh, Dirty Deeds Done Cheap was released, yes, it released as well in 1976. The original, the, <clears throat> excuse me. The track listings worldwide for the album also featured a TNT track called Rocker that was on their original LP that was not before. So they kind of, they were still trying to find their way in and they put that on there. But from this album, I do want to play the title track, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. Also another very well-known song by them. Just a really good, just classic rock and roll song. So here it is, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap.
when ACDC first started to tour, they were mainly touring throughout Europe. They had a brief stint in Sweden. They then returned to London, where they reset a new attendance record during their residency at the Marquee, a venue, a marquee club that was a music venue in London, which they would uh, perform at. They had an appearance at the 1976 Reading Festival, really failed to get what they wanted from the crowd. The crowd really did not enjoy their music. They then toured extensively throughout Europe, returned to tour in Australia in late 1976. And then they kind of rebuilt their money back up to record Let There Be Rock, their four studio album. In early 1977, they returned to Britain and began a European tour with Black Sabbath. That's just, in my mind, such interesting two two groups to tour with one another. Bon Scott and Ozzy Osbourne became really good buddies. But other than that, the two bands really did not get along. Even one instance where Geezer Butler pulled a knife on Malcolm Young, which was later then talked about that it was nothing major. But anytime you have somebody doing something like that, I'm sure that the relationship was not the best. Towards the end of 1977, bassist Mark Evans was dismissed. Uh, He kind of just described it as a disagreement with Angus and Malcolm as a real contributing factor why he left. He was replaced by Cliff Williams, who was an experienced bass player, had played with several other UK bands since the late 60s. Neither of the young brothers has really elaborated on why Evans was kicked out of the band. The CEO of Epic Records, Richard Griffiths, has kind of put a little bit of a take on it. Uh, He was a booking agent for ACDC as well in the late 70s, commenting, you knew Mark wasn't going to last. He was just too much of a nice guy. He didn't really push it as much as the young brothers really wanted to. ACDC's first American radio exposure was through Bill Bartlett, who worked at a Jacksonville station, WPDQ slash WAIV in 1975, two years before they really played their first U.S. concert, where they supported Canadian uh, group Moxie in Austin, Texas on July 27, 1977, which was their first appearance in the United States. You know, they just, they really needed to get a way through. Under the guidance of their booking agent, Doug Thaler of American Talent International, and later the management of Lieber Krebs, they gained invaluable experience. They worked at multiple U.S. stadiums supporting lead rock acts such as Ted Nugent, Aerosmith, Kiss, Styx, UFO, and the Blue Oyster Cult, and co-headlined with bands such as Cheap Trick. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you know the names of those bands and those performers. That is such a huge you know, kickstart to a band if you're trying to get off in the U.S. and you're opening for such those acts and how explosive and everything ACDC was. I'm sure those guys left a huge mark on every single place that they opened up. They had a major breakthrough when they collaborated with their producer, Mutt Lange, on the band's sixth studio album, Highway to Hell, released in 1979. Eddie Van Halen has even said that this is his favorite ACDC record, along with Powerage, the song Highway to Hell, which I will play in a little bit. You know, they just had really good songs on that album, and it was really the time that they broke through in the United States. And here it is, ACDC's Highway to Hell.
around for any fans of the Percy Jackson series. I know, at least for myself, remember when that movie came out, that was a featured song in a single part of that movie as Percy Jackson and his pals had to head down to go see Hades. I know it's completely kind of off track, but I always think of that whenever I hear about that song. I always think about the Percy Jackson movies, but that song in the LP broke into the U.S. Top 100. It was really their breakthrough, eventually reaching its way to number 17 and propelled ACDC really into the top of rock and roll at that point. It had lyrics that shifted away from their, you know, from their ways that they had before and now towards more central rock and roll themes, putting an emphasis on their backing vocals, but still featured the loud, simple, pounding riffs that they had originally that they really wanted to focus on. And with that change, I mean, they definitely found more success when they went to go kind of what the people wanted to listen to. In 1980, the band began to work on their seventh studio album, Back Black and Black, before the trajectory of the band changed. And on February 19, 1980, their lead singer, Bon Scott, tragically passed away. And Scott passed away that what they want to say was listed as acute alcohol poisoning. He he perpetually passed out in the car on the way back to his apartment, or uh, excuse me, the apartment of an acquaintance called Alistair Kinnear after a night of drinking and a potential drug taking at the music machine in Camden, London. According to Kinnear, upon the arrival at his home, he was unable to move Scott from the car to his home for the night, so he left them then in the vehicle to stay overnight to sleep off the effects of alcohol. On being unable to wake up Scott early in the morning of February 20th, 1980, Kinnear rushed him to King's College Hospital in Camberwell, where Scott was pronounced dead, or was he was pronounced dead on arrival. Pulmonary aspiration of vomit was cited as the cause of his original death, but like I said, the official cause was acute alcohol poisoning. He was then buried in Fremantle, Western Australia, the the area where his family immigrated to as a boy. The band really wanted to quit. They, they really considered it after his death. But Bon Scott's parents, you know, told him that hey, Bon really wanted, really would have wanted you guys to carry on. So the band con- continued to. Brian Johnson was then chosen by the band to be the new vocalist of the group. For his audition, he sang a whole lot of Rosie from Let There Be Rock and Ike and Tina Turner's. Tina Turner's Nutbush City Limits, which, frankly enough, funny enough, actually, when we covered Bob Seger earlier on, he actually covered that song as well. It's a little bit of mixture from the time travel rock episodes, just kind of funny. But after the band kind of worked through the rest of the list of applicants in the following days, Johnson then returned for a second rehearsal, and Angus Gunn then recalled, I remember the first time I'd ever heard Brian's name was from Bond. Bond had mentioned that he had been in England once touring with a band, and he had mentioned that Brian had been in a band called Geordie and Bond, and he said, Brian Johnson, he was a great rock and roll singer in the style of Little Richard, and that was Bond's big idol, Little Richard. I think when he saw Brian at the time to Bond, it was, well, he's a guy that knows what rock and roll is all about. He mentioned to us that in Australia, I suppose when we decided to continue, Brian was the first name that Malcolm and myself came up with, so we said we should go see him if we could find him, which is awesome. I mean, when you when you hear a quote like that, it's almost like destiny at that point. You know, Bon Scott tragically passes away, and then Brian Johnson just kind of pops up, and it's as terrible as death is, as that was, you know, it gave the band... They had a break. I mean, they, they kind of caught a break a little bit. They knew a guy that they could trust where on March 28th, Malcolm Young called Brian Johnson and offered him a place in the band, and Johnson was really surprised. Out of respect for Bon Scott, the band wanted a vocalist who would match him, who would not be a mere imitator of him. In addition to his distinctive voice, demeanor, and the love of his classic soul and blues music, the group was impressed by Johnson's engaging personality. He was officially announced the lead vocalist on April 1st of 1980. With Johnson as a new vocalist, the band completed the songwriting that they'd begun with Scott for the album Back in Black. The recording of this album took place at the Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas a few months after Scott's death. Back in Black was produced by Mutt Lange and recorded by Tony Platt, which became their biggest selling album and had a hard rock landmark. Hits that, also in- hits that included Hell's Bells, You Shook Me All Night Long, 
Rock and Roll Ain't Noise Pollution, and the title track Back in Black. The album reached number one in the UK and number four in the United States, where it spent 131 weeks on the Billboard Top 200 chart. Just amazing, amazing songs on here. I'm going to play Hell's Bells and Back in Black, just two amazing songs by ACDC. I'm going to play them back to back. First off, Back in Black, and then secondly, Hell's Bells.
listening to Hell's Bells at that last part there, I'm sure if you know you're listening to this and you're a Nebraska football fan, you definitely hear that song on a Saturday. And you know that's the thing with ACDC too. And I'll play a song in a little bit, and you know the probably their most well-known song. It, they have those songs. They, I would I don't want to call them rock and roll anthems, but at the same time they are. I mean they are just they're beautiful songs that you can just listen to. You know the the chords you know the guitar everything they put into it is just so good and you can tell that i mean it's like headbanging kind of stuff i mean you can rock and roll to this stuff and that's why i really like listening to their music and you know when i dove into this you know it's really what i love when i listen to rock and roll music i want to listen to some cool guitar i want to listen to a guy just kind of belt out you know everything and that's really what i love to hear but after the release of for those about to rock we salute you in 1981 the band kind of went on a little bit of a commercial decline it really was not the best for them the band parted ways with mutt lange their out their manager after their ninth studio album flick of the switch which was released in 1983 you know they really wanted to get back to their rawness and simplicity of their early albums it was considered underdeveloped and unmemorable to them one critic even stated that the band had made the same album nine times at one point ACDC were voted the eighth biggest disappointment of the year in 1984 on a Courange readers poll. However, Flick of the Switch eventually reached number four in the UK charts in the ACDC. The band had minor success with the singles Nervous Shakedown and Flick of the Switch. But yet another band member was out the door. After having problems with drugs and alcohol, drummer Phil Rudd's friendships with Malcolm Young deteriorated and eventually escalated to a physical confrontation, after which Rudd was fired halfway through the flick of the switch sessions, where former pro-call harem drummer BJ Wilson was drafted in to help complete the recordings, but his drum parts were really not even used, as Rudd had already completed most of the drum parts. Rudd was then replaced by Simon Wright in the summer of 1983, after the band had over 700 700 auditions in the U.S. and the U.K. That is ridiculous. 700 tryouts, basically, to become the drummer of this band. Simon Kirk of Free and Bad Company fame and Paul Thompson of Roxy Music were two of the drummers' auditions. So, you know, they had a little bit of talent that they let go through the door. The band's 10th studio album, Fly on the Wall, was produced by the Young Brothers in 1985, was also regarded as uninspired and directionless. A music concept video of the same name featured the band at the bar playing five of the album's top ten songs. In 1986, the group returned to the charts with a made-for-radio Who Made Who. The album Who Made Who was a soundtrack to to Stephen King's film Maximum Overdrive, and it brought together older hits such as You Shook Me All Night Long with newer songs such as the title track and two new instrumentals, DT and Chase the Ace. In February 1988, ACDC was inducted into the Australian Recording Industries Association Hall of Fame, where then they released their 11th studio album, Blow Up Your Video, in 1988, which was recorded at Studio Maryval in Laval, France, and reunited the band with their original producers, Harry Vanda and George Young. The group recorded 19 songs, choosing 10 for the final release. Though the album was later criticized for containing excessive filler material, it was a commercial success. Blow Up Your Video sold more copies than the previous two studio albums released combined, reaching number two on the UK charts and ACDC's highest position since Back in Black in 1980. The album featured in the UK top 20 single Heat Seeker and popular songs such as That's the Way I Want to Rock and Roll. The Blow Up Your Video world tour began in February 1988 in Perth, Australia. That April, following live appearances across Europe, Malcolm Young announced that he was taking time off from touring, principally to begin recovery from his alcoholism bout. Another member of the Young family, Steve Young, temporarily took Malcolm's place. But in 1990, the band struck gold. Their 12 studio album, The Razor's Edge, was recorded in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and was mixed and engineered by Mike Fraser and produced by Bruce Fairbairn who had previously worked with Aerosmith and Bon Jovi. So they kind of reached out to some guys who had worked with some really good artists because they they knew they needed to get back to the top. Released in 1990, it was a major success for the band and included the biggest hit of all time for them, at least in my opinion. I think it's the most well-known song, Thunderstruck. Also with Are You Ready, which reached number 5 and number 15, respectively, on the Billboard's mainstream rock tracks chart, and Money Talks, which peaked at number 23 on the Billboard Top 100. The album went multi-platinum and reached the U.S. Top 10. 
In September of 1991, 1.6 million people attended the Monsters of Rock Festival in Moscow to enjoy the first open-air rock concert to be held in the former Soviet Union. The show, also featuring Pantera, The Black Crows, and Metallica, had one of the largest audience ever for a musical event. Several shows on the Rager's Edge tour were recorded for the 1992 live album titled Live, which I'll play a couple of songs for for a little bit, but I'm going to dive back into the Razor's Edge here one second. Talking about Thunderstruck, probably their most well-known hit. You know, if you're a, a college kid and you are of age, I will say of age, you know, I don't want to get any murky waters here, but, you know, I'm sure you've played the drinking game Thunderstruck. It's never, never a fun time, never a fun time at all. But that song Thunderstruck, another as well, you know, you talk about sports anthems. It is such a well-known song. And, you know, I always remember as a kid, you throw that on the headphones, you throw that on the beats, throw it on the AirPods. Man, it'll really get you going. It gets you ready for a sporting event. You listen to that, you know, the, uh, it gets you going, man. It really gets you going. But nonetheless, here's ACDC's Thunderstruck.
I'm not going to play any more new music. I, I guess music past the Razor's Edge album. I'm going to play some more live tracks before I end off this episode. But ACDC, their popularity continued for such a long time after that album. You know, nowadays, they even have their own Sirius XM radio channel where you can constantly listen to ACDC and listen to interviews from the band members. And that is just, that's crazy to me that you were such a successful band that you get your own Sirius XM radio channel. But, uh, you know, looking at their next, their past albums, in 1993, ACDC recorded Big Gun for the soundtrack of, Honor, of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Last Action Hero. It was released as a single. The song released number one on the mainstream U.S. rock chart, the band's first number one single on that chart. In 1994, Pacific Gameworks created a proposal for a beat-em-up video game project intended for the Atari Jaguar CD titled ACDC Defenders of Metal, which had prominently featured the ACDC crew. However, production of the game never started and it was left un- unreleased. That, to me, sounds freaking awesome. Why would I not want to be in a video game because I'm just a, you know, at that point you're just a band member, but you get a freaking video game made about you. That sounds awesome. Uh, Phil Rudd was then rehired back to play the drums for ACDC where it was in 1994 when they got back together a little bit. They made their 13th studio album ball breaker in 1995. The first single from that album was hard as rock. Two more singles released from the album were hail Caesar and cover you and oil in 1997, a box set named Bonfire was released from ACDC, contained four albums, a remastered version of Back in Black, Volts, a disc with alternative takes, outtakes, and stray live cuts, and two other live albums, Live from Atlantic Studios and Let There Be Rock, the movie. Live from the Atlantic Studios was recorded on, 9, on December 7, 1977 at the Pavilion de Paris where the, was what, and was a soundtrack for the motion picture ACDC, Let There Be Rock. The U.S. version of the box set included a color booklet, a two-sided poster, a sticker, a temporary tattoo, and a keychain bottle opener with a guitar pick. That just sounds like genius marketing to me. Whoever was controlling that marketing department, they should get a raise, and I'm sure they made a ton of money off of that because they should. That sounds awesome. You know, their popularity was just confirmed and, and just kept skyrocketing. In 1999, ACDC recorded their 14th studio album, Stiff Upper Lip, which was produced by brother George Young at the Warehouse Studio, again in Vancouver. Released in February of 2000, the album was better received than Ball Breaker. But again, it was still saying they lacked new ideas, which was, which you know, honestly is fine. You listen to ACDC, you know what you're going to get. And then, in 2002, ACDC signed a long-term multi-album deal with Sony Music, which then they went to release remastered albums of their past. Which at that point, you know, when you sign with Sony and whatnot, I feel like bands know they're going to remaster their songs to make them sound better to re-release to the public. You know, which is totally fine. I totally understand that. And, you know, for me, as we kind of wrap up this episode and look back on ACDC, again, I think that they are such a great band. And yes, they're a little bit cliche a little bit as to rock and roll but there has to be somebody to set that cliche benchmark and i think uh acdc really set that benchmark for what other rock and roll bands wanted to be but that is going to be all the time we have today i'm going to play a couple live songs as we end this but again thank you very much for listening this has been jackson reddick here on 90.3 krnu another episode of time travel rock is out the window and enjoy the rest of your saturday night